0: Lord, you are amazing. You are almighty. You are holy. You are a God who cares deeply about us and wants us to know so much about you. But even more, you want us to know you. You want us to trust you. And so we pray that in this time this morning, we can indeed learn from your word that we can know you and trust you, Lord. Come and be with us. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. When you are driving, it's not uncommon at all to come across signs along the way. Signs that give you instruction, give you guidance, right? You might come across a yield sign, right? A yield sign lets you know that cars are going to be coming into your lane, so be careful and, and make way for them. Or you might get in an accident, right? Or you might see a reduced speed ahead sign. We, when we go to Prescott, Arizona, we see this often. We're going along, we're driving speed limit 65, and all of a sudden, it says reduce speed ahead, and within like 200 yards, the speed limit becomes like 25 miles an hour. And if you don't reduce your speed, then you'll probably get a ticket in one of these little towns, right? Or maybe you're driving along, and you see a detour sign, right? It shows you that the road ahead is not in good condition, you need to go... A different direction, or maybe you see a, a road closed bridge out sign. Now, here you can't go, you see, there's barriers, but oftentimes you might just have the, the bridge out sign, right? And if you keep driving, then you're going to be in trouble, right? Probably drive right off the edge of the road. These signs at times can be inconvenient, maybe they frustrate us when we see them, but they give us important messages that we need to listen to, right? To keep us safe when we're driving. Well, this morning, as we look at Uh, The story, chapter 15, this chapter talks about four prophets, Elijah and Elisha and Amos and Hosea. For our time this morning, I'm just going to highlight two of the four. I'm going to highlight Elijah and Elisha, and as I'm talking, you might need to listen a little bit, especially as I get near to the end of my sermon, because Elijah and Elisha can sound similar, right? And when I'm talking about both of them at the same time, be clear on who I'm talking about. But we are going to learn from them about their ministry and about how God used them and how God watched over them. We're going to learn from Elijah and Elisha what I think is some important ways that we can live our lives. Important things we need to learn about God and our world and how we can better live for the Lord in this time. See, the prophets of God, in the chapters called God's Messengers, the prophets were God's messengers. They came like these signs that give us warnings, that give us messages, that tell us important information that we needed to know. The prophets came along and they gave messages. They gave words of warning. They gave important information to the people for them to follow. Now their message was not always well received, but what they said was very important. Um, When I finished college, I was a music education major, and I was scheduled to go into the teacher credential program, and I was going to be a teacher. But I felt like God was leading me in a different direction. I felt the the call in my heart to go into ministry. So I uh, started going to seminary, Fuller Seminary, and a friend of mine called me up and he said, I have an opportunity. Would you like to be the junior high director at our church out here in Rancho Cucamonga? Actually, it was Taloma, just above Rancho Cucamonga. And he said, for a whopping $300 a month. $300 a month. I said, yes, yeah, so what a great salary. $300 a month. Yeah, I'll come. No, but I felt the, the call of God in my heart. And in the midst of that salary, $300 a month, I said, I'm going to go. I'm going to trust in the Lord to care for me, Right? So I found someone in the church who was renting a room. I rented a room for $300 a month, but there was a problem, right? I mean, I was making $300 and my rent was $300. So I got, yeah, there's a problem, right? There's a little problem there. So I got another job. I became a substitute teacher, and that brought in another whopping $300 a month. So I was rolling in the dough, right? I was making $600 a month. $60 went to the church, right? My tithe, 10% of my money I gave to the church, So I had $240 to pay my bills, my food, my gas, all the miscellaneous, $240 a month to live on. But you know what? I trusted in the Lord, and the Lord provided for me all kinds of ways, especially when it came to food. I I, I can't tell you how many times members of the church said, would you like to come over for a meal? And my answer was quickly, yes, I'll come over for a meal. All I've been eating is salad and water for the last three days, right? Or my roommate would be making too much food, and he'd say, Oh, you want to join me for dinner? I was like, Oh, yes, a good meal, great. But the Lord consistently provided for me in the midst of what seemed like just meager salary, right? I tell you this story because we think about God. God is sending a drought to the nation. And God says to Elijah, I'm going to send you out to the Careth Ravine, but don't worry because I am going to provide for you. 1 Kings 17.4, You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Isn't that a wonderful verse? This shows... The, one of the many ways that God regularly provides for us, how God cares for us, how God will bring things to us in ways that are unexpected. You know, who would ever expect their food to come from a bird, right? And so here we have God showing to Elijah, I care for you, you are my servant, I'm going to provide for you, you don't need to worry. See, it's easy to not trust in the Lord in this way, because it seems so out there, right? How, how is this going to happen? You get yourself in a situation and you're like, I don't know how, how this is going to be dealt with. I don't know how I'm going to be okay in this situation. And God says, don't worry, I'll provide for you. And when we trust in that way, as Elijah trusted in the Lord, as we trust in the Lord in that way, God works in our lives in wonderful and powerful and profound ways where we see and we experience the very presence of God in our lives. God becomes real to you as you see him work in these ways. Maybe an unexpected check comes to you, right? Or maybe you get a free service for something. Or maybe a friend invites you out to a meal, and time and time again you trust in the Lord, and these miracles happen in your life. And you know that they are the Lord. Along with the ravens coming to Elijah to help feed him, uh, God sends a widow. And this is not a chance encounter. This is an experience that is going to bless the widow, and this is going to bless Elijah, right? Because this widow comes and provides food for Elijah. Probably was better food than what the ravens were bringing him. (laughs) And in the midst of this encounter, Elijah goes to the widow's house, and she see, he sees that her son is sick, and by the power of God, he heals her son. And in that experience, the widow believes in God and believes in Elijah as a prophet of God. So the widow's son is healed, and she's blessed, and she's blessed because she starts to believe in God, but Elijah is blessed because she believes in him as a prophet. You know, and as a prophet, that was really encouraging when people really lifted you up and believed in you, right? The prophet's job was very difficult, right? The prophet was a messenger of God, and more often than not, the role of a prophet was to convict people of their sin. To convict people of their sin. So let's say that you're looking for a job, and you come across this job description, and so you start to read this job description, and it says, wanted, a person of trust and integrity. And you think about, okay, yeah. That describes me. I'm trustworthy. I'm a person of integrity. And then you read the next one. A person who has good ears to listen to the voice of God. Yeah, I can do that. I can listen to the voice of God. That sounds good. And then you get to the third point. A person who is willing to convict people of their sin, to confront people in their sin. And you look at that and you're like, "Uh, I don't know if I can do that, right? Who wants to go and confront people in their sin, right? Who wants to do that? prophet's job was to do that primarily, and because of that, a prophet was not very popular. In fact, we read in the scriptures that whenever King Ahab saw Elijah, he called, them, he called him a troubler of Israel. Can you imagine being Elijah, you're walking along, oh, there's a the trouble of Israel, right? And people start to look down on you, maybe they mock you, they give you a difficult time, they make your life, life difficult, and you are not popular as a prophet, and you spend much of your time in isolation. So you can just imagine Elijah going through these ups and downs of emotions as he's trying to be a servant of the Lord. But see, Elijah, being the the faithful prophet of God, tells it straight to Ahab. And we read about what he says in verse 18, and read the underlying part with me. Elijah said, I have not made trouble for Israel. I'm not a troubler of Israel, he's saying. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. And here we get the truth. We get the truth. The truth is not that Elijah is the problem, right? A lot of times when you, when you try to confront someone in sin, when you try to tell them something is wrong, right? They, they get mad at you. They get angry at you. Like, why, why did you do that? That's your fault, that I'm feeling this way now. No, the truth is, it's your fault. You're just not taking responsibility for your actions. And Elijah is saying, no, it's, I'm not the trouble of Israel. You and all the people have turned away from God and started following the gods of Baal. You are the troublers of Israel. That is the truth. And you know, it is difficult to hear the truth for people who are not letting the Spirit of God Convict them, right? I mean, that is really the Spirit's role. God has sent His Spirit to convict us of our sin, and when we're not sensitive to the Spirit of God, then God will put people in our life (laughs) to confront us. Maybe you've had that experience, right? God is trying to convict you, kind of trying to get you back on the right path. You're not listening, and all of a sudden this person comes in your life and starts to challenge you in your faith and in your walk and in your decisions. And you're very uncomfortable in that situation. But that is God at work. Or sometimes maybe he calls you to be that person in another person's life. You walk alongside them and you try to help them see the wrong that they are doing. You try to help them get back on the right path. And that is what Elijah, as a prophet, was doing for the people. And so Elijah says, you know what? I want to try to help the people get back to God, right? So he says, let's do a test. Let's do a test. He says to Ahab and all the people, let's do a test. We're going to have a test. You get your bowl, and I'll get a bowl, and we'll prepare it, and then we will call out to our God, and we will see what God answers by setting the the wood on fire and and burning up our offering. They liked that test. They said, oh, that's a good test. Yeah, we'll we'll go along with that. And so they start to... um, well, we read it here in First Kings 18, 23 and 24, and read the yellow part with me. Elijah says, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I, Elijah says, will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. This is our test, okay? They say, okay, we we like that test, we'll do it. And so, they they set it all up, and then they wait, right? And we're told in verse 26, So they took the bowl, given them, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. So a lot of hours is going by, right? They're calling on the name Baal of their god Baal Baal answer us they shouted but there was no response no one answered and they danced around the altar they had made so first they're shouting that didn't work they thought well maybe we'll dance you know, maybe that will you know, appease the gods All right, so we'll dance and maybe that w-. and Elijah starts to mock them he starts to give them a hard time at noon Elijah began to taunt them shout louder he said Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is in deep thought. Or busy. Or maybe he's traveling somewhere, right? Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Where is your god? Why is your god not answering? Oh, maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's asleep, right? But he knows that their god is not going to answer because he knows that Baal is a false god. And it says that no one paid attention as they continued their frantic prophesying, the scripture says. As they continued their frantic prophesying. They were getting desperate now, weren't they? We have got to prove that our God is real. They're frantic prophesying. But no one was there to hear because there was no real God. Baal was a false God. Then it was Elijah's turn. And Elijah was very confident in his God. So he's so confident that the scripture tells us that he had the people take four jars of water and pour it over the offering and over the wood. And then he had him do it a second time. And then he had to do it a third time. So now the offering and the wood were completely soaked. And then it was Elijah's turn. 1 Kings 18.38 Then the fire of the Lord, he called out to the Lord and the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. The stones in the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. God sent so much fire. It was so powerful, so strong that not only did it light the fire on the wood, right? But it burned up everything and it even consumed the water in the trench. God proved himself. To be true. And then we have the response of the people in verse 39. Read the yellow with me. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Wow, what a great story of God proving himself to be true. Elijah knowing that God was the real God and that he was a prophet of God. He was a messenger of God. The people had turned from him and he spoke out uh, God's truth, and he came to show the people that God, the God that they had turned from, was the one true God. We've talked before about how it should be evident that God is real by how God is working in your life. And so if you don't feel like God is at work in your life, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to humble yourself before the Lord. I want to encourage you to give your heart over more, just like the song we just sang. Give your heart over to the Lord all the more. Confess your sin. Seek the Lord. Walk faithfully with with Him. And let your decisions be based on His Word. Live in His will, and then you will experience the Lord. And then this will be your testimony, right? Elijah's testimony was, look, look what God just did, right? And they believed in the Lord. You want someone to believe in the Lord? Share with them what God is doing in your life, right? Maybe you've been healed in some way. Now, Greg and I talk about that all the time. He is so, he is so excited when he goes to therapy to share his faith because God is with him and he knows God is with him. You've been healed. Your family member has been healed. You've seen healing happen. Share that with others. Let them know what God is doing. Or maybe your marriage has been restored or maybe you've had a difficult friendship that's been restored. Share that with others. Let them know what God has done in your life. Maybe you've gone through a difficult time Or maybe he's provided for you when you went through some trouble. Share this with the Lord. What is God doing in your life? Share that with others. Let that be your testimony that they might believe that God is real. The God that they're following is not a real God. You could even say to them, what is your God that you're following done for you in your situation? Look what my God has done for me. See, this is what Elijah is doing. When I first started as a minister, I had a pretty meager salary. Um, and then I got married and had children, and it even seemed more meager. <laughs> but you know what is amazing? Is that sometimes God puts us in those situations, especially when you first start out, right? Right? <laughs> When you first start out in your you're living and you're, you're living on your own, and a lot of times you don't have a lot. But when you don't have a lot, what do you do? You trust on the Lord all the more. And we trusted in the Lord, and the Lord provided for us. I could tell you story after story after story of how God provided for us, right? I met a doctor. He was a Christian. He said, You're a minister? Oh. I will waive all of your fees. (laughs) Wow, that's right. God continually, time after time after time, provided for us in ways that were surprising but wonderful. And when you share those stories with others, then they see, wow, your God is real. Well, then we move on to uh, Elijah being even bolder, right? Elijah is bolder, having the Lord as his power and truth, but he has an adversary. He has an adversary, and it is Queen Jezebel. Now, King Ahab you know, gave him a hard time, but when King Ahab married Queen Jezebel, she was really his adversary. She really made his life difficult. I mean, if life as a prophet wasn't difficult enough, Queen Jezebel made it even more difficult. She, she turned her heart from God to Baal. See, Elijah was ruthless against evil, but Jezebel was vicious toward righteousness. Elijah was a messenger for God, a spiritual leader for Israel, but Jezebel was full of systems of witchcraft and deceit. Elijah spoke the words of God, but Jezebel systematically killed all the prophets of God until only Elijah remained. So even in the midst of watching God work and knowing that God was real, Elijah had these times of going up and down, right? He had some really low times in his life. You know, as Christians, maybe sometimes you might go through a, long t- a low time and you might think, you know, as a Christian, I'm supposed to have a lot of faith, right? I, I-, I don't... I'm not supposed to go through low times. I'm not supposed to feel down. I'm supposed to always be up, right? Always joyous, right? But that's not the way it works in the world. We, we get bombarded, right? And we feel down and we feel low. And sometimes we wonder, where is God in all of this? And Elijah felt that way. He was discouraged by the evil that Jezebel brought against him. See, Elijah serving the Lord was both joyous and exhausting, wonderful and heartbreaking, uplifting and discouraging. But Elijah's fight wasn't just against Jezebel. And a lot of times when we have these experiences in our in our life, we think it's the, the flesh and blood that's around us, right? The the things of, of the world that we're encountering. But I, I need to give you a deeper spiritual truth. The fight for Elijah was not really against Jezebel. There's Elijah and King Haab and Jezebel. Ephesians 6.12 gives us an important truth. Read the yellow with me. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood, really. It's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That is where the true battle exists. This is why we need faith in Jesus Christ. This is why we must daily commit ourselves to the Lord. This is why we must listen to the voice of God in His direction. This is why we must surround ourselves with Christian brothers and sisters. And this is why we must pray without ceasing, because the battle is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I propose to you that just as that power was at work in Jezebel, that power is still at work today in this world and in our lives. We must be careful to understand this and to avoid this. King Ahab, remember how we talked about last, last week all the kings? Oh, there's so many kings that turned away from the Lord, right? And did what was evil against the Lord. But we're told something about Ahab. Read the underlying part with me. 1 Kings 16.33 Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Now the kings of Israel did some pretty bad things, but we're told here that Ahab did even greater evil against God than all the other kings. And when he married Jezebel together, they made up this terrible union of evil. There are people around us who are giving themselves over to evil. There are people around us who are not following the Lord. And if we allow them to come into our lives, they will influence us and our faith in negative ways. They will bring us down. And we must seek to avoid that. Very important truth. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Read the yellow. Be alert and have sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. How do we resist him? We resist him by standing strong in our faith in Christ. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Evil is real and rampant in our world. Evil is powerful and without the power and presence of God in our life we will not be able to overcome it. Do not be foolish. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil in this world. But there is good news. There is good news. In Ephesians 6, 13-18, we are told of the armor of God. I encourage you to go home and read that today or this week. Ephesians 6, 13-18. God provides armor for us. God provides protection for us. And he gives us one offensive weapon. You know what that weapon is? The only one offensive weapon. Everything else covers us, protects us. One offensive weapon. It is the Word of God. The word of God. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did he use against Satan? The Word of God. He quoted scripture. It is the Word of God that has the power in all things, right? Don't use your own thoughts. Don't use your own wisdom. If you're going to try to, to dialogue with someone... Dialogue with the word of God. Stand on the word of God. The word of God is your one offensive weapon against Satan and against the evil in this world. But God has provided us protection and armor and the tools for us to be victorious. Well, even as Elijah served God faithfully for many years, he experienced great danger and trouble and hardship, right? And so God decided that he was going to encourage Elijah by bringing along Elisha. Right? You might remember the story. Elijah is led to Elisha. Elisha is plowing in the field. It's kind of fun. That it's, it's kind of a similar story to Jesus calling the disciples, right? Remember, Jesus called the disciples, follow me, and they follow him. Well, Elijah comes along. He puts this mantle, this cloak on, on Elisha. And Elisha leaves his plowing, leaves his field, leaves ultimately, leaves his family, and starts to follow Elijah to be his servant, to be his disciple. And so Elijah is encouraged by this disciple, by having someone with him in the ministry. And Elisha is blessed to learn from Elijah, because Elisha will ultimately take over as the prophet of God. See, what a great reminder this is to be discipled and to disciple. We are called, no matter where you are in your faith, no matter whether you've been a Christian for one day or a hundred years, we are all called to be disciples of the Lord. We're all called to look for ways or people in our life that will help grow us, right, to help sharpen us, to help remind us to stay strong in our faith and to walk faithfully with God. We need a person like that in our life. If you don't have someone like that in your life, I encourage you to encourage you strongly to find a person that you can walk with and that can walk with you that will help you grow in your faith. Conversely, we are called as followers of God to disciple others. Every Christian, no matter where you are in your life, should look for another person that you can encourage, that you can uplift. That you can share a Bible verse with, that you can teach, that you can help them to grow in their faith and stay strong in their faith, so that they are walking faithfully with God. We are all called to be discipled and to disciple. This is a commitment our leadership is starting to make every session meeting. We are meeting together and we are talking about what does it mean to be a disciple and what does it mean to disciple others, and how can we encourage others in our congregation to be a disciple, and to disciple. Very important. And we see this happening between Elijah and Elisha. And then, Elijah gets near to the end of his time. And again, if you know the story, it's a magnificent story, right? We see that Elijah is taken up, the scripture says, taken up in a chariot up to heaven. Elijah is one of the only two people, there's two people in the Bible, who, according to the word of God, did not die, but were taken up by God to heaven. The first is Elijah here in 1 Kings, and, this, uh, and the second is Enoch. Enoch. In Genesis 5.24 and in Hebrews 11.24, it says that God took Enoch and took him and brought him to him. Two people of God that God took. We won't go into that much. But now Elijah is being taken off and Elijah cries out to him, give me a double portion of God when <laughs> you leave. I have, you know, have you ever done that? You have to take, it over, take over for someone, right? You know, like you're a manager and then they leave and you have to be a manager or you know, you're know, you teaching a sentence or you're helping teach a sentence to a class and the teacher leaves and now you have, I mean, whatever. If you've ever had the person that you are helping leave and now all of a sudden you find yourself in charge. You're like, help. God, help, right? Give me a double portion of your blessing, God. I need your blessing. And Elisha cries out, and and Elisha receives that double blessing, which is important because he continues to battle against these evil forces. He continues to battle against King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And Elisha performed his service faithfully for God for over 60 years over the reign of four different kings. His name, which means, my God is salvation, is indicative of his message for the Lord, his message to the people of God. And I hope that when I get to the end of my life, I can look back and say that I faithfully served the Lord and had the kind of ministry and fruitfulness and saw the miracles of God in and through my life and my ministry, even to a portion of what Elisha did. And I hope you think about your life and I say, my number one goal I hope you think this. My number one goal in life is to be fruitful for the Lord. And I can get to the end of of my life and I can say I was faithful to God and I saw his work and I saw his miracles in and through my life. And hopefully, maybe even an extra blessing would be and I led some people to salvation. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be a great testimony? I hope you think that. Well, God's holiness demands judgment against the rebellious, but his redemptive love always provides a way of escape. I hope you're seeing in the story as we're going through that God is constantly speaking his message into the world. He's constantly speaking his message of hope and grace and salvation to his people. That when you turn to me and you come to me, you will find salvation and you will find strength And you will find meaning and you will find purpose and I will be with you and I will provide for you and I will use you in wonderful and glorious ways. That is the message of the story. And as we talked about, how does my story fit into into God's story? And that's what we need to figure out. How can I be that person walking with God to see my life be used in a purposeful and meaningful way for the glory of God? We, too, can be messengers of God's truth. We can lovingly keep people accountable so that sin and Satan will not have the victory. That is our battle. May we allow God's truth to penetrate our hearts so that we will draw draw closer to God and that we will live for Him. And ultimately, may we speak God's truth so that people are informed of the truth and pray that God's spirit and redemption will touch people's hearts. Let us pray.